Hey guys, just wanted to jump in for a second before the episode starts. First of all, I want to thank you all for listening and supporting. I really hope that you guys like today's episode and the ones that follow. As you could tell by the title, this is a super important episode because not only is the topic very serious regarding gambling addiction, but I was very fortunate enough to have my cousin Richard on the podcast and he himself is a gambling addict. He hasn't gambled for quite some time, as you'll hear in the podcast. This podcast is going to be multiple parts because Richard and I sat down and recorded for over two hours. And so I want to make sure that I'm not just like giving you guys so much because honestly, this is really heavy stuff. Um, But it's really, really interesting. And I'm just so grateful that not only Richard was able to come on the podcast, but the fact that he was willing to be so open and honest and vulnerable, he's really made it his life's mission to help anybody that he can who who suffers from this disease as well. And so, Richard, I just wanted to give you a shout out before the episode starts. Just uh, thank you so much for doing this. You are incredible. You know that already. I love you so much. And I am so excited for everyone to hear you because you have a lot of important things to say and I really feel like you're going to help a lot of people. And I also want to preface this by saying that um, if if you're struggling with anything of this nature or if you know of anybody who is, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I can definitely connect with Richard and, and see if he can provide any resources that he may recommend. Um, like I said, I've said in previous episodes, this podcast is a safe space. So um, definitely feel free to reach out, DM me, text me, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm just, I just, you know, felt like this was important because I want everybody to feel supported, feel heard, and know that they're not alone if this is something that they're going through. And even if it's not something you're going through, you can really learn a lot from it. So I hope you guys enjoy part one of this podcast about gambling addiction and look forward to the rest of it because honestly, this is, in my opinion, the best podcast I've done so far. So I hope you guys feel the same way. Enjoy it. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Starting or Settling. I am your host, Julia, and today we have yet another very special episode. But as you can tell by the title, it's a bit more serious. We're on the topic of gambling, specifically gambling addiction. Um, This is something that I've actually been wanting to talk about for a while because of the major influx of advertisements around gambling, whether it be during sporting events, on social media, commercials, whatever it is. I've just seen so much of it so frequently and I feel like it's pretty crazy because of how new it all is or in terms of the accessibility of it. So with that, as you can also tell by the title, I have a special guest on today's episode, a dear family member of mine, my cousin Richard. Richard, how are you? I'm great, Julia. How are you? I'm good. Is it weird that I called you Richard just now? I literally only ever call you Cousin Richard. So what? No, it's it's not weird because we're being extra formal. Extra formal. We're super professional. Super professional goes as with extra formal. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> awesome. So just to give everybody a little bit of a background. So you are my mom's first cousin. 
right? I'm nervous saying that, right? You're my first, my mom's first cousin? Um, actually, your mom's nephew. Oh, Jesus. But you were close because oh there there has to be a parent above a cousin. So the you're looking at her as maybe... Can't be my mom's nephew? Yes, because... That would imply that she's your aunt, my mom. You're... Not your mom. I was thinking about your. Yes, you're right. You're thinking about grandma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're I, my I, mom's first cousin. We're starting off great. This no, is no, great. no, you're starting off great. This is real. I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Um, so what does that make us? Is we're, first we're second cousins. Now that I'm, we're settled on my screw up. <laughs> we're second cousins. Me and your mom are first cousins. So what's the difference between second cousins and first cousins once removed? Does this have anything to do with gambling? No, it is this not. Is, I, I, I wanted to I, start I off small. I was prepared for only gambling questions. These questions are hard. I know. I like to just see. I want to make sure everyone's on their game. Okay. Really so out. you and I are second okay. cousins. Okay. And your mom and I are first cousins, as, as we are, as I am with your dad. Your dad and I are first cousins. All right, this is too much. This is already overwhelming. Well, your me. mother married your dad, which made him my first cousin. Well, yeah, but like my dad's not blood related to. I don't know. I just don't view it that way. I don't know. Oh, you don't. So you're so right. Your so your dad is a, a cousin by force of marriage. Isn't that how it normally goes? Like when someone yes. says you're my brother or sister-in-law, it's like we're not actually family. I'm just forced to be your family. No. Yes, but I think your dad would rather be my cousin. I don't think we could ever be friends. That's the only way we <laughs> the only way we can get along as cousins. We would never even think about being friends. Oh, he's going to love listening to this. This yes. is a great this is a great start. All right. So, we're going to just get right into it. Go. Um so do you I mean, I'm sure you know why I asked you to, to be on this and do this with me, given your relationship to gambling. But do you want to give a little bit of a background? on? Sure. That? So I, uh, in the interest of saving time, I'll, I'll go back to when I started. I started gambling when I was, Jesus, I can remember flipping baseball cards, um, which really at the time, you know, there was no money exchanged. But certainly the uh, uh, importance, the premium that was placed on winning was overwhelming. And I used to, and, and it was different, I think, with me than it was for most kids. I mean, it was really uh, uh, meant everything to, to, when I won, to walk around the neighborhood holding a, a, a stack of cards just to show everyone in the neighborhood that I had that many cards. Yeah. It was important to show off that I was winning at cards. So it started, uh, the feelings were not really normal then, and then it that led into uh, 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 some more gambling with, with, with more card playing, uh, pitching, you know, uh, flipping cards and so forth, and then that led to to starting, like me starting to gamble. Yeah. You know, at an early age. So when you were walking around with the, the deck of cards or all the cards that you had won, um, did you feel that that obsession or what we would now call an obsession at the time? Was it in your mind just like I'm the most competitive person here because you were, you know, an athlete. You were a very competitive person always. I get the sense. Um, so did you kind of just view it as another thing you're just competitive about? Yeah, I definitely did. But I but it was more uh, uh, narrow focused into I had all these cards now. It, it, there, there was a sense of contentment, but but 
the contentment was short-lived. Yeah. And I had to turn those cards into more cards. Mm -hmm. So what, what started off as winning became... Uh, started to to leak into now I could see the beginnings of it of wanting to win more yeah it wasn't really about the contentment of what I had and enjoying it it it, it created another stronger feeling of winning more okay. you know which was yeah which was and 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 which is really the crux uh, uh, of, of of the compulsive addiction in any in any addiction yeah. compulsive obsessive uh, part of the addiction is is not being content with winning it's all about winning more you know yeah so then sidetracking a little bit even before you were flipping baseball cards and that was like your very early stages of it when was the first time you can remember actually just being exposed to gambling if there was a time or if it just started with the baseball card flipping yeah, it, it seems like because um, I grew up in a house, my my father wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, he wouldn't even wager in an argument. He wouldn't even say, you know, I'll bet you and not even put up any money. I mean, he was like very conservative. And my mother, my mother played Mahjong, although I think her Mahjong game was fixed. Uh, um, but no, she played Mahjong for a small amount of money. And, and but that didn't catch my attention you okay. know so i i think that this is a great question by the way because i think you. and you think you hit it before the competitiveness of me uh uh was the is the core of i i think what led me to to branch out and then when when something that could be wagered became uh, uh available like cards i think that's when that part of me uh, emerged when you saw some sort of reward right yeah what I could yes yeah. yes okay. yes it, it's sort of like I, I guess it's sort of like winning in sports playing a, a, a basketball game to you know to a certain score I think winning meant uh, uh, more than just winning and losing I think it was more uh, a, a definitive thing of who you are it felt like it, you felt like it defined you a little bit yeah I think that it might have filled uh, an emptiness as I look back on it. Yeah, 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 definitely. But not not being consciously aware of that when it happened, but mm -hmm. certainly now I could see that I wanted to win more, which I think was part of what I said before, but the psychological part was important. It, 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 it gave me uh, a, a sense of belonging or a sense of uh, um, feeling alive. Yeah. That dopamine rush. Yeah, 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 exactly. For a kid, I think that dopamine rush was was really uh, uh, un underrated and, un and, and not spoken about in that context as dopamine-related. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's, it's funny now because, like, my generation is so big on the, the neurological responses or your, I guess your, just any response your body gives and why, just having a reason, having having reasons behind why we feel the way we do whether it's physiologically psychologically just being able to have an answer dopamine is something that i've like looked into a lot just because it's like you know for example someone like me who has social anxiety or just a lot of anxiety in general um i looked up like why is it always really bad in the morning and it's because when you're sleeping that's when your dopamine levels are at their lowest 
So when you're waking up with just a rush of anxiety, it's because you're not getting the, that dopamine that, you know, you're looking for. And so people then with like depression, other things like that, they just happen to have lower levels or imbalances there. So dopamine's like a crazy drug, I guess, for lack of a better term for it. Um, so I guess in that sense too, is it the, the dopamine you were addicted to or was it the actual physical winning the money all of that like i th- i think that it also with me was really helped me focus you know i would f- focus around the activity better uh it, it 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 sort of jolted my brain into a a a calm so the more frenzy the flipping of the cards the more that it was at stake in in a bizarre way, the more um, quieted down my brain wasn't searching now for anything and distracted to get the dopamine. I was in the dopamine, yeah. and it seemed like I could focus on what I was doing. So when I was flipping cards, I was in the activity. Got it. You know that makes sense. So even just that act in itself. Was- yeah, that act in itself got because I. I the anticipation of when you're flipping and you know there there was each team had a specific color assigned to it so I remember knowing which color uh, each team represented and I could read the other person's card so when we were flipping I would look at their card after I put mine out and know if they were going to make a match or not you know, yeah. so it was always uh, uh, I was always looking for more of a, a once you were in the activity, you, you get really hyper focused and to what makes up that activity. So what colors were available, yeah. you know, and, and it made me edgier. You know, when I some sometimes once I remember being able to cheat because I saw that I put out a color and the person's next card was going to match it. And I dropped the cards by accident, but it was really on purpose. Oh, yeah. Because I knew I was going to You were one of those? You were a cheater? You became a cheater? I was a cheater at a very young age. I know I was proud of it. Too. Hey, good for you. You know, at least yeah. you admit it. I'm admitting it now, but at the statute of limitations has run out. So <laughs> I will not flipping. be put into any, any little timeout. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Well... Hey, you know what? If you're not cheating, you're not trying, I guess is what they say. <laughs> well, you know what it was, Julia? It, it, it was always an edge. You know, when you were gambling, when I was gambling when I was younger, I always wanted to find an edge. And I guess in in the in the search for finding an edge, you do things. I'm not saying I felt good about that, but you do things to to get an edge over the other kids. And it's not even a matter of, I, I think, when you're doing that, feeling good about it. Because at that point, you just justify it with that dopamine rush of I won. Yeah, yeah. You, you, it drowns out the, uh, the whatever the consequence. It like numbs you and, and almost. A minimal consequence. Like, like, what are we talking about? Yeah. Well, so then once we, it furthers itself and it actually starts to become a tangible money thing. Right. So how old were you when you first started, like, really gambling money and if you're okay with answering this was it your own money you were gambling when you were yes gambling? yes so i started gambling i think when i was uh, for money when i was 13 we started wow. playing uh 13 and a half maybe 13 and a half 
started playing sports uh, uh, for money, you know, basketball games, and uh, uh, we'd play uh, football games against the older kids. Uh, and but we didn't. It didn't really. Uh, uh, the joy, the dopamine, back to the dopamine, didn't really matter as much uh, on how much we were betting as to the fact we were betting a dollar. And the fact that we beat these older kids, the payoff after the game was over and the humiliation they had to endure losing to the young, it was all about winning. Okay. And at that time, it, it, it at least it wasn't as, it didn't, because there wasn't as much money bet on it, it didn't minimize the joy of the dopamine rush. If it was more like, so if you had lost the game betting a dollar versus losing the game betting $20 at 13 years old, what would you have imagined would have felt worse? I'm sure losing the $20, but I'm also sure that, that the progression of that is where the gambler gets into trouble. Because then it's, and that's where I got into trouble. Okay. You know, because the progression, it's addiction is all about progression, right? Yeah. You, you, if you're an alcoholic, you start off very young and, you know, where you end up is not anywhere near where you started. If you yeah. start at one drink, you're, uh, you know, the, based on the progression, each person has a different progressive chart. You know, you end up maybe 20 drinks or 30 drinks as a bad alcoholic. Same thing with uh, pot or cocaine. Same thing with gambling. And the problem with gambling, though, that differs from all other addictions. Oh, this is, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. This is the first time, you you and I talked about this. You explained to me the, what makes a gambling addiction different from other addictions like drugs or alcohol. And I've never understood it. I've never understood why people always say it's different until you put it this way to me. And it makes so much sense. So... Everyone listen up because this is a good one. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now there's a lot of pressure on <laughs> You have um, to say it so perfectly. So, so, so like when you're progressively betting, right, um, the, the thing that you need is the thing that causes the problem, you know. So with gambling, money is the, is, is the, the entity that you use and and whereas in drinking or drugging, if you have one drink and you're really, really drunk, you've had 20 drinks, you can't have a 21st drink and get sober. If you've done, let's say you've done lines of cocaine, you've done 25, 30 lines of cocaine, you can't do the 31st line and, and straighten out. It's not going to happen. Yeah. But if you're down uh, $5,000 with gambling, um, the source of the problem becomes the solution because now if you can get more money, you can get your $5,000 back. You yeah. know, if you're down at the, one of the casinos and you're at the wheel and you throw down $100 or $50 on mom and mom is 50 to 1, you've all of a sudden got back a big chunk of money. Yeah. And now the, the dopamine kicks in and now the brain goes from like saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm down $5,000 to now thinking, now I've got a couple of thousand dollars. And now not only am I going to get even, but now I'm, I could win money. So there's a, a, a delusional dramatic shift because you usually don't hit that bet, mm -hmm. but you don't think about not hitting it. You think about 
hitting it every time. Of course, yeah. Right. So the so that even though you're going to hit it, you know, how many times is mom going to come out on a wheel if it's 40 or 50 to 1? It's probably going to come out, you know, if numerically over the course of whatever time frame you said, a year, you know, it's going to come out one or two times out of 100. So you're going to end up losing the money, but you don't think about that when you have that money. You think about, I'm going to get my money back. Yeah. You know, and you think of the loss, either you win or you lose. So it's one and two. It's not really one or two out of a hundred. Yeah. You know, either if I lose, I lose. Yeah. But you don't, uh, you, and then if you lose that money, the opportunity to get more money, to get the money back is is still available. And But that's not the same case with uh, drugging or drinking or even eating. You can't be, you know, an overeater and have five hamburgers and go, let me have a six one. I'm going to really lose some weight here. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to. It's a bit counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's the, that's the real um, uh, grand contradiction and, and what makes gambling very unique. And I, again, I'm not trying to, out of ego, because I have the addiction, make it sound like it's the worst one. I'm just telling you. These are the facts of, 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 these are the conditions which give us the facts of what gambling really is, which makes gambling overall an incredibly difficult disease. Yeah. Because the, the opportunity to always get your money back is predicated on you uh, uh, continuing to, to penetrate your family. You know, you ask first parents and then maybe cousins and then you go to your friends you go outside your family and then from friends you go to a bookmaker which you know i got involved with and eventually you're you the hope of getting it back uh uh it becomes a a a really uh an unavailable reality and even if you were to get back a lot of it and go on a winning streak since it's a an addiction you never stop as a winner yeah the only way you can stop is you get stopped by losing and then you run out of people to ask you know it's interesting because going back to you being an athlete you were a basketball player and a very good one from what i heard i don't know if the family was exaggerating just to make you feel good but apparently you were a very good basketball player growing up true uh don't be modest here all right. Yeah, I was outstanding. I should have played <laughs> overseas in the European League. Yeah. And I would have not been a compulsive gambler. <laughs> well, you yeah, you got an injury, right? You tore. Yeah, I got an injury. But also, the truth is that gambling robbed as I got older, and as I was at sixteen or seventeen or eighteen, when I was really good, uh, uh, my attitude gambling had undermined my attitude yeah. about everything. It it started to. Uh, uh, seep in like water seeps into your basement it started to seep into my life and eventually the basement was flooded well with- i was thinking about it and i was trying to find a connection there because someone who is um a higher level athlete or a very competitive athlete and then someone who has a gambling addiction of course two very different things but what i want to see if you know the answer to this when you're a basketball player you're shooting around just by yourself before you leave the court what has to happen what's like the just known rule. You have to make the last shot. Exactly. You make the last shot and you walk away. And with a gambling addict, you hit that last bet 
and you can't walk away. No, you 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 make your last shot and then you want to miss again. <laughs> you want to miss because you want to start the thing. Oh, because you're not content. Yeah. Making your last shot. That's just not enough. Yeah. You got to now miss to start the, the, the cycle over because it's all about action. Yeah. As a gambler. It's not about winning or losing. And as you get older and more into the addiction, uh, uh, they're no longer winning dissipates. And what happens is there's losing and there's more losing. Those are the two things that take over. Mm-hmm. You just, you, and when you win, you're really renting money. You don't own the money because you don't do anything uh, 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 substantially or importantly, at least I never did. All I wanted to do was, again, win more money. Yeah. You know, so you never really, the only way you end up winning as a compulsive gambler is when you die. If you were lucky enough to die on the day you hit the lottery, that's an unbelievable life. You can, everybody's going to go, this was the greatest, luckiest gambler ever. <laughs> Except you're dead and you yeah. can't use the that money. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. Yeah. But the, that's really the truth, though. I know it sounds a little uh, extreme, but I don't know, you know, gamblers who ever stop who are compulsive gamblers with money. They only stop when they get stopped, when they lose, and they have to lose. And, and I realized that at a, at, in my early 20s on a, on, a, on a existential philosophical level that this, I was in a, a, an addiction where I was hopelessly enslaved and there was no upside, there was only a downside and what happens is you grow immune to the losing because now you think not only did you have a loser, but now you've got the loser out of the way and a winner's coming. Yeah. But the winner's coming for what reason? Even if you win, you have to never lose again Which to stay a winner. Possible. You have to win every bet you make. Yeah. So the whole philosophical psychosis of it is, is, is quite insane. If you think about it, for yeah. again, because there's no, there's no end to it, and and it does. Going back to the basement analogy, not only does the water seep into the basement, but the water rises through the basement floor into the into the first floor of your house. If you have two floors, it then goes upstairs, and that's a metaphor for your life being uh, drowning in your addiction, because mm-hmm. it takes your money, it takes all your attention, it takes all your hope. It takes all your friends, you end up isolated, you end up withdrawn, you end up apologetic, and you end up lying your goddamn fucking ass off. Because yeah. that's what addiction, because addiction only wants you to, it's, the only way to service it is to in, be enslaved by it. Yeah. And, it. and there's no rational choosing. If you're at a holiday uh, Thanksgiving with family and you got a sports, uh, a bet on, on a football game, you're not sitting at that table a long time. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to the bathroom about 50 times checking the score. Yeah. You know. And it's it's so hard because, well, we, we do that. You know, you've been over our house Thanksgiving like every year pre-COVID. And, you know, my brothers and my dad, they always, you know, put together a stupid parlay that never hits. And it's just their Thanksgiving tradition where they go into it and they're like, we're losing this bet. Like there is no shot. We make this bet because the odds are so crazy because 
everything happening where this player scores a touchdown and this guy gets this many yards and whatever. It's just it's never going to happen. But it's it's like almost something else to root for on top of the game itself. And, I mean, we're sports fanatics over here, as everybody knows. So we just need another reason to not sit with our family at the table. <laughs> but um, I, I'm wondering, what was the moment where you were like, I have a problem? Yeah, so... With addictions, it's interesting that you asked that question. With addictions, the first thing about addictions, the first principle about admitting that you have an addiction, you have to get past the fact that you're going to deny that you have an addiction because denial is the strongest part about addiction, and it's it's a big component of it. And so when, when people were telling me, um, that I had an, I, I, I actually am an exception to that because I kind of knew it at a very young age because I got in some serious trouble at 16 and I got in some serious trouble at, at, at 20. So I already knew I was a, actually a degenerate compulsive gambler and didn't have any problem. I, I The problem for me was... Um, the stopping part and staying stopped and getting healthy and then changing my character. And that took many, many years. Um, and so I gambled on in when I was miserable, which is another part of compulsive gambling, which other people don't really understand. It's because I knew I was doomed. I couldn't win. Yet the action, I was still hungry enough, I still had enough of the addiction in me where I still got those cheap thrills and those lifts and, and, and love the, uh, uh, just love the action of being gambling. It also took me out of real life, which, you know, who wouldn't want to escape? Well, you're 16 and you're gambling and like you said, you got in some serious trouble. Like you were a student in high, you were in high school at that time, yeah? Yeah. So like how... How does that happen? Like, how does that, how does that happen? Right. I just couldn't pick a good baseball team to win. That's what happened. No, what happened was you bet on the Yankees. Why? I, what happened was it was actually when I was fifteen. Now that I, I remember, we was still, this is before we moved to Paramus. Um, my friends and I started betting, uh, and we were betting the Mets. This was nineteen seventy, and you know. You get four guys and betting the Mets, different amounts. And we were betting the Mets, and every night the Mets were losing. And we kept, the number kept getting higher and higher. And you're to, like, they're bound to win at some point. Well, yeah, you, you, you play that bound to win uh, uh, theory, which is hopefully you don't run out of uh, money before you run out of the bound, you know. That's but true. that's what, what happened was we got to the point, I got up to a, being, I was down eight hundred dollars, which at that time. Eight hundred dollars at sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in nineteen seventy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like I don't know. It was like twelve Sorry, million dollars. Sorry, not to eat you, but that's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of money. Yeah, because my father. Now I remember we were paying two hundred dollars a month in rent. So when I told my father about that, um, he he couldn't believe it that I was down that much. Um, so me and my friends were down about twenty five hundred dollars. And, and and we each told, uh, you know, I told my father. And he, you know, freaked out on me. And it was awful. 
Did you uh, have a bookie? Is that who yeah? Your, okay. Well, we had a a coach who were running who was running the bets for us. Oh my God, your own coach? Yeah, yes, and this is where it got really awful. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we had a coach running the bets, and I was sitting there uh, one the next night, and we're watching the Yankee game, and guess what? Unbeknownst to my father, because he reacted so badly, I wanted to just get a winner and clear the whole thing up. And, and you know, my first, th my only thought was at least he'll go, okay, you're done now. And I was thinking, yeah, I'll get even, I'll be done. So I'm lying on the floor, and I was a leg thumper, so my leg is going up and down. My father's reading the Wall Street Journal, and he's not really watching the game, and I'm sitting there on the floor, and the Yankees are ahead 3-2, to two, and Cleveland's up, or Detroit, I'm not sure, I don't remember which team, and it's the bottom of the eighth, and P.S., they bring in a, a relief pitcher, and he pitches, and, he, uh, and then the other team ends up getting two runs in the bottom of the eighth. Oh, they no. go ahead 4-3, and as the guy's rounding third base and coming home, he touches the home plate. My father looks up. He sees the score, and he takes the newspaper and hits me in the head because I'm lying on the floor. He goes, you see that? You putts. You see what happens? If you would have bet the Yankees, like, like you were betting the Mets and the Yankees all the way, see what would have happened? Meanwhile, unbeknownst to him, I, I'm, I got to bet on the Yankees to get out. So we end up losing the game 4-3, and now I'm really screwed because now I lo I've doubled the loss. Now I'm down oh. $1,600, and now i got to tell him. And that's when it really, really was awful. Um, what happened was uh, the, all four of the guys, all, me and my three friends, owed $4,500 to a guy who was a JV basketball coach who was making $80 a week. And all four fathers, and I remember this, got together. They didn't want to pay the debt for any of us. They talked the coach into saying and believing that he manipulated the lines. He was taking care, advantage of the four of us. And he really wasn't. He was a very nice guy. And all oh, three. Oh, such a great guy. Just letting minors get but, themselves right. in a $4,500 hole. <laughs> What a great guy. <laughs> right. What a wonderful human being, right? But the bottom line is we all four fathers wiggled out. None of us paid the debt. And I feel like, in retrospect, had my father made me work off that debt and be accountable. I wasn't accountable. And I felt the terrible guilt and shame that went along with it, you know. Uh, but not enough where I, where I, I stepped up and 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 should have helped the coach in some capacity if i was really being straight with myself and honest it would have been i would have taken ownership of that debt because i knew that you know just because my father didn't pay it somehow i felt better about that but i buried the fact that i felt awful knowing and that who did and, you feel awful for um him knowing i did the wrong thing it was the an awful thing to do to somebody that innocently, even though he was helping minors, it, it, there was no way that our fathers shouldn't have paid that debt off. And my father shouldn't, in retrospect, had he done the right thing, made me pay him off uh, the amount of money that I lost on a weekly basis and make me realize the value of money because at that point when I got away with it, all I was left with was guilt. And that guilt... It, it, it didn't help in the formation of, of a young guy, 
you know, in, in terms of when you get away with something like that um, and you don't resolve it, you don't square that up, it, it, it works against you in terms of your self-esteem and, and, and your ambition. It, it, it just corrupts you, and it corrupted me. And it didn't, and I never was made, I never made to, to pay for that debt, pay that debt off. And do, you, do you think that really is what sort of spiraled you into just falling right back? Like after yeah. that debt was just never dealt with and your your the dads were all like, and Uncle Bill was like, hey, you know, this is over with now, but you're done. When was the next bet you placed? It wasn't that much longer. There, there was a, a respite period, you know, where you go, I'm not doing this anymore. And then that wears off because I had the addiction in me. That wore off. As soon as it could wear off, it wore off. Do you think that he knew it, or maybe was worried that it was an addictive no. thing? No, okay. I, I, I don't think he had any. He was had no clue where the compulsive gambling was, and nobody in my in the in the family had had, had shown that. I don't think you know he grew up in a different era, so um, I think that. He can't be faulted for not not doing it, but he should have. He, I wish he did make me accountable. You have to be accountable. Even now that I'm in GA going on 20 years, it's a big thing to be held accountable for your actions. If yeah. You, go I ahead. Agree. No, I mean, in every, just looking back at, like, even my own life, like, I was, this is not as serious at all, but, like, I was just a really bad student. Like a lot of people, a lot of people in the family, like Nanny Poppy, my grandparents, they think I'm like the model child. But the reality is, you know, when I was in seventh grade, I was getting such bad grades to where I would not tell my parents anything. And if your grades were below a certain average throughout the, the quarter, the school would send an email to the parents and say, like, your child has this average or these are their grades, like, just so you know. Mm screw technology that's why that happened i swear to god if that didn't happen though i would have been a terrible student because i was just like if they never see it it's never a problem and i don't care and i just didn't it was simply because i wasn't doing my work and so i'll never forget the day i was in my room and my mom screamed and she was like julia haley gardner get out here there was a few expletives in there that i won't repeat I'm sure. But um, basically, she was like, what is this? And I just started crying because I was like, I got caught and I was terrified. And then my dad got home and like, I just it was so bad. And my mom brought me to the school (coughs) and she made me sit in the guidance counselor's office and had each teacher come in the room with my guidance counselor and her and tell me why I was getting the grades I was getting. And I had to sit there at 12 years old and have every single teacher tell me exactly what I was doing wrong. And I was mortified. And by the way, I still didn't end up really doing much work until like midway through sophomore year of high school where I had like a 3-4 GPA, which is fine, but I just wasn't trying. And then my parents looked at me and they were like, you are not going to college on our dime if you're not going to put the work in like you can go to community college which is not a bad option 
And honestly, I don't know if college was really for me. I almost, looking back, wish that I would have made a different decision sometimes. But I, in coming from this area, like, that's not an option. Everybody goes to college. Everybody goes to a four-year university, and that's right. what you do. Right. And so that's what really forced me. Because I had the grades to get into schools that I wanted to go to. But my parents were like, we're not sending you there. Like, you can get in, a t- like, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt or go to community college, but we're not paying for it because you don't, you didn't earn it. And so then I got my act together and it was fine. But like accountability is something that's so underrated, especially now too. I feel like kid, I sound so old kids these days, you know? <laughs> no, but seriously, it's no, like no, no. people well, get away with the craziest things now. Well, that's because the digital age lends itself to uh, uh, multiple forgivenesses. Yeah. You know, on multiple in multiple issues and, and I think that um I think that accountability is is, is, is greatly uh, undervalued and, and, and grossly um uh, overlooked because people nowadays uh you can't apologize so easily like we can in our society. Yeah. Just people, you know, I misspoke. I don't know what the hell that I never understood what misspoke. If you misspoke, you lie. Yeah. So stop che- stop glorifying the fact you lied by making it politically correct to say I misspoke. No, you yeah. didn't. You lied. Yeah. You said something stupid. Right. You did something wrong. Right. You're not right. a bad person. You made a mistake. It's I th- right. It's okay to make a mistake, but right. to lie about it. To lie. To say you misspoke. First of all, when did this word misspoke enter our culture? Yeah, no idea. I never heard about it. That word. I never heard that word. You lied, didn't you? I never said to my mom, "Look, mom, you know, I uh, I want to tell you something. I didn't lie. I misspoke. You know. I mean, isn't that better now? Can I have extra extra food? Can I stay out later? Yeah. You know, I admitted. No, misspoke. You get away with murder. Yeah. Same thing with you know. Back to the addiction. You know, like you, based on your, you know, your story, even it took you a few years. Yeah. But 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 when the pain became uh, consequential is when it got your attention. Mm-hmm. And and I wish that my father would have made my situation consequential, where the pain would have been you don't do this until you do that. Did he? want to was there anything he did besides make the debt go away like was he very much about you're not hanging out with those kids or, no uh, no it was more it was more like like I, I would say that my feeling is that most parents would go on a practical level you know your parents work so i on a practical level he said just don't don't ever do this again you know not having the faintest idea that what was going on inside me you know, by this time already, I was heavily, um, uh, at, even at, at 15, I had started going to the racetrack. I was playing poker with my friends. You know, this was just part, one, of, one part of what was now overtaking my life. Gambling was now really, I was having trouble in school big time. And, and I was more hunting down the dopamine, you know, the dopamine relief. Big time. So what was the moment that truly held you accountable that made you realize, like, okay, I, I've known I've had a problem, but I've been putting it aside because I have just haven't been able to get rid of this addiction for whatever reason. Like, what was the moment where you were like, I need to stop and I need to get help and this needs to be done because I can't do this anymore? Well, I did it. I, I, I went to, at 22, I went to my first GA meeting. Okay. And so you were my age? Yes, yes. It took me, 
But then it took me 24 years, which, and I found the right, I found the right person who, who was able to intellectually and addiction, addict, addictively in, a, in an addiction way, educate me because I always felt that GA for me wasn't, it wasn't intellectually enough, intellectual enough where I was getting. In in a way, the answers I was looking for, and I was wasn't it just willing. Too surface level. Yeah, it was way too surface. So it took me to find the right person, and when I did, uh, uh, he was just he saved my life. I credit him with saving my life. Without him, I, I he he's turned me around as a human being, and and and, but it was only because I found someone I respected, and in GA, uh, there's a lot of cliche. You know, I'm not shitting on or, or, or minimizing or devaluing GA. It's just that some people need more. It wasn't for you. It, it, it's, it, I, I'm back in it now, and I'm very active. It's because I've learned, but I needed the, my therapist to teach me how to learn how to put GA principles into my life. I didn't know how to utilize them when I was 22. Yeah, that's a very hard thing to go through, obviously. I can't imagine all just... The constant stress you probably had to be under. Yeah, I was I was living the life even when I tried to stop gambling between twenty two and forty six. Uh, the challenges were overwhelming because I didn't have anything. I was I was free free floating, and didn't have anything to hold on to. Didn't have a principle that I believed in, uh, and didn't understand the whole thing about surrendering to an illness that you become powerless over. Was there ever a time where anyone, whether it was like friends or family, kind of tried to say something to you or just like noticed and verbalized to you that they noticed something was wrong or that there was a problem? It's funny that your mom's dad, may he rest in peace, mm -hmm. was a, uh, uh, tried to grab a hold of me. Man, I love that guy. He was, he was the best uncle. He was the world's best uncle. He took an interest in me and and um, sat me down a few times and 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 really gave it to me. Um, but you know he was fighting an uphill battle. He's fighting a, a a guy who, no matter what, no matter how much I agreed with what he said, the addictive personality inside me was one step hungrier to get what I felt I needed. And the only way I did not know how to uh, to put anything into I didn't know how to organize my life at all. Uh, step by step, I I was so undisciplined, so uh, 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 unable to sit still. Couldn't read. Uh, you know, I had my own learning learning disorder, which you find now. I find a lot of people in GA have learning disabilities, learning disorders, chemical imbalances. I, I sponsor so many guys now who have other things other than addict, underlying conditions, you know, and, and I'm very familiar with it, so I'm able to now uh, handle, you know, sponsoring a lot of different personalities. And I, and I love doing it because I, I get to, you know, tap into all the things that I know that I, that went wrong in my life all right guys so that concludes part one of the gambling addiction episodes that i recorded with my cousin richard i hope you guys enjoyed it so far i hope you found it interesting 
I'm not exactly sure how many more parts are going to come from this. I have a feeling it's going to be closer to three, maybe four, but most likely three. Um, the next episode is going to come out within the next few days, and it's going to more so cover what will we start talking about, I should say, what current gambling looks like in terms of just how much it's thrown in our faces and how easy and accessible it is. And it's just crazy to me how all of this has happened so quickly, seemingly. So keep an eye out for that. And let me know if you guys, again, have any questions, want to hear more, have any have anything that maybe you want to add to this or any resources that you know of, whatever it is. Um, I think this is a topic that is super important to talk about given, again, how prevalent it is in our society today. So yeah, keep an eye out for the next one and I hope you guys enjoyed.